0: This is The Education Show, unlocking opportunities in teaching and learning through collaboration. Proudly brought to you by Zabuza.net. Once again, it is The Education Show. So good to have you along with us. A special guest today and somebody I certainly enjoy speaking with every single time I do. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy this guest today. Who is he? He is Graham Codrington. He is a futurist uh, and he is also uh, part of tomorrow, today. Graham, hello, how are you? I'm doing well,
1: David, or as somebody said to me the other day, I'm doing COVID well. And when I asked them, what on earth is that? (laughs) They said, well, uh, better than expected under the given circumstances, but I'm not going to complain to you. So I'm COVID well. That
0: is a very, very good way to describe things. COVID well. Uh, Graham, let's have a little chat because I mentioned uh, you're a futurist and uh, I saw, um, I think it was yesterday, that uh, people once again who have nothing better to do uh, were busy picking on you because you had the word futurist in, in your title. What, what is a futurist? Uh, what do you do? Yeah, some people,
1: uh, when they want to fight with me, kind of think that it's just a made up word, you know, and a made up term. A futurist is a. Proper professional qualification. You can become a futurist by studying uh, courses in future studies all the way up to PhD level here in South Africa. Stellenbosch has probably got the, in fact, it's a world famous faculty of future studies, and many other universities around the world do it. Not every futurist is formally trained as a futurist. Many uh, come up through the ranks of what might be called scenario planners. So I suppose. South Africa's most famous scenario planner is Clem Sunter. Probably another famous one is Charles Handy, who originally did scenarios work for Shell back in the 1960s and then founded something that some people might have heard of called London Business School. And his goal was to get business leaders to think about the future more. Uh, not just to do your budgets for the next year, but to actually, you know, get sort of formal qualifications and insights into how do we analyze the future? We can't predict the future. I wish we could. But what we can do is we can analyze trends, we can uh, look at uh, forces, disruptive change, get some anticipation of what's going to happen in the future. And then obviously, most importantly, prepare for it today.
0: Okay, I know you are very, very modest about this, but uh, certainly you are thought of as one of the top futurists, uh, certainly in the country, if if not the world. Now, this is the education show. And the question I would put to you now is education. Surely that is something that is is, is ripe for disruption. It's ripe for change you know along with with i think the rest of the world and none of us saw covid coming i think teachers have done an incredible job over the past year everybody was hoping this year would be different a few people uh, yourself included said it's not going to be that much different. And one of the things we need to move away from is this concept of us going back to normal, because there is not going to be a normal like we were, we were used to. Uh, Graham, what are your feelings on, on teachers and educators uh, and on, on our current system?
1: Well, let's maybe take a step back uh, from COVID to answer this question, David. I, it's an absolutely vital question. And I think, but there are two things to say maybe before we dive into, uh, you know, a, a, a think about innovation and disruption in education. The first is to say that I, I think alone amongst the professions, teachers really have it rough because everybody thinks they can have an opinion on teaching. You know, we all went to school, and so we all understand, I put that in air quotes, the teacher's job. And uh, especially when we parents, especially if we're parents at private schools, uh, we think that teachers are our uh, sort of, you know, servants, if you like. Uh, And I do think some uh, parents have that attitude. And so everybody thinks they can give their opinion and everybody thinks it's easy. But of course, we must remember that teachers did three, many of them four, five, six years. A lot of teachers have got master's degrees. There's a hang of a lot of theory technical term is pedagogy that the science of teaching and it's different at different age groups i mean it really uh, we need to start with this to understand that that good teachers are really top quality professionals who have a very uh, niche set of skills that it looks like from the outside it's very it's a very easy job it's actually very technically difficult that leads into the second point to make. And that is that you've got to be very careful when you think about innovation in teaching. You can't just have a cavalier cowboy type attitude to teaching because what if you get it wrong? What if this crazy thing you, you try in the classroom doesn't work? And then you mess up a child's uh, formative moment you know it, it, they they're nine years old and they're trying to learn language they're 11 years old and they're trying to learn the basics of of numbers and, and mathematics they 14 years old, and they they they're trying to learn uh, history and culture, and you come along with this crazy innovative idea, and it doesn't work. It's not like an accountant or a, uh, or an engineer who can try something out, and if it doesn't quite work, you go, oh well, okay, we'll 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 fix that project and we'll move on, or we'll try something different next time. Uh, you know, you're playing with people's lives when you do that. So at one level, you want education at some levels to be inherently conservative um so that you know you're not taking these wild chances uh on my kid (laughs) you can experiment on other people's kids i suppose um you know but you know what i mean we so that's got to be the starting point um as a basis of saying it's not just about going crazy and trying anything you like there
0: are boundaries here because you're playing with people's lives fair enough and i sub- i suppose often you get caught up in this idea of let's revolutionize everything and and i've spoken you know, on this program i've spoken to um, a couple of teachers and uh, i've spoken to uh, a dr yen frohfen from the usa who's who's all in favor of change and her philosophy is that You know, our our education system is essentially broken and we need to do something for it. I know I'm a product of our education system, of uh, the public schooling system, and I do what I do today despite my education.
1: And I suppose then that's the flip side now, is that having said that we do need to be careful, I think sometimes teachers can be overly cautious. Some teachers... Can get into a groove. I would never want to accuse a teacher of being lazy, although I'm sure there are lazy teachers around. But I I think teachers can get, you know, the early years of teaching are insanely crazy in terms of their busyness, because every single day you are custom crafting. A, a class for the following day. And, but after a year or two, you, you've got yourself into a groove and it can become uh, something where teachers then just, you know, five years, 10 years later, they're just doing things that they were doing a decade ago because they know it works, except the world is changing. And the kids who are sitting in their classrooms are changing and technology is changing. And so for me, the message I wanted to get across to teachers in 2021 was this is just the most remarkable moment that you will never get again in your career because nobody's going to look back on 2020 and 2021 and say, what happened there? Why was everything a little bit messed up? because everything's messed up already. So this is the opportunity, surely, in a year that is already disrupted by something outside of our control that everybody is experiencing as disruption. Isn't this the most remarkable opportunity then to not just be in survival mode, but rather to be in a mode of saying, now's the time to try something. Now's the time to to give an idea some air and see what happens because we can't really get more disrupted than we are right now.
0: I'm getting excited about this because one of the things that that uh, has, has always concerned me. And as I said, I've been fortunate. I've I've spoken to a lot of educators and people that are in this education space. And and I understand where they're coming from a little better now than what I did before because I was also of the of the opinion that uh, you know teachers they got a great job I mean they start at eight they finish at one two o'clock they get all of these school holidays boy did I learn how wrong I was but there's also a growing frustration that I've picked up amongst teachers and amongst students or learners that. We've just our education system was designed for the industrial age. I mean, you know, they expect people to uh, be able to regurgitate facts and figures, and if you can do that, then yay, you've passed. But in the world and the way the world is today, that's not enough. I mean, I, I take I take myself for example. I was I was labelled as somewhat of a problem child because I learned differently. From, from the other kids in the class, and this rote learning never, ever worked for me. You say this is an exciting time and it's a time for change. How do you, what kind of change do you see, Graham? Well, let, let's get practical, and this is what I've
1: been trying to do over the last few weeks. Is uh, and, and and I've uploaded some videos onto my YouTube channel to just kind of motivate teachers to seize the moment that they've got. So let's try and be practical here. Uh, first example would be this: we we've now learned that although it might be preferable to have a group of people in a physical space together that's not the only method by which we can transfer information, right? So uh, teachers have had to learn to put lessons onto video uh, and make them available so that kids can access the information at home. So my question is this, why do we have, right now, David, as you and I speak, as people listen to, to this, there are a thousand maths teachers all around the world preparing a grade 10 maths lesson, custom crafting, hand designing a a grade 10 maths lesson for tomorrow. There are another thousand teachers doing that for history at grade nine and another thousand teachers doing it for science at grade 11. Why? Why are they custom designing every class Why can't we find the person, the teacher in the world who does that particular lesson, the lesson that's due for tomorrow? Why can't we find the teacher that does that lesson the best? Why don't we video that teacher and then every other teacher just shares that video? Why does every teacher in the country have to be developing a video for tomorrow? Why can't we just find the best one? And, you know, for me, that it's not a hypothetical question. That should be something that schools in a certain district should be getting together. The maths departments of all the schools in the district should be getting together, uh, putting out the lesson plans, and then teachers saying, I think I'm pretty good at this one, or I think I'm pretty good at that one. And, of course, you might discover that somebody's already done this. Let's say Khan Academy or uh, one of the other online uh, systems uh, around the world, uh, one you know, any of the platforms from, from Masterclass to uh, to any of the others, where everything from geography to biology and, and, and history to uh, cultural studies has already been done. And why aren't teachers taking the opportunity this year to just step back, look for existing resources rather than saying, I have to develop this for myself, when they might not Be very good in front of the video, and they might not be very good at this online uh, lesson plans. So for me, that's a very practical thing that teachers could and in my opinion, should be doing, not just in their schools, but between their schools and, in fact, across the whole world right now. And that will start something that's not just for COVID-2021, but could be something that would last into the future, even when kids are back at school, to either supplement or change the way
0: that a hybrid classroom might look. This is why we talked to you, because that's one of the things I'd, I'd never thought about. And as we were talking, I was like, you know what? If I, if I hearken back to my school days, the one subject I did very well in was English. Why? Because my English teacher was absolutely gifted. She she brought the English language. She brought literature to life. And yet I've had other teachers that they that, that, that can make the subject as dry as sort of sawdust. She had a talent for that. And, and what you're saying is tap into the talent that we have amongst our teachers. I think that, that's a fantastic idea. Graham, what what else can we can we have a look at though? What else can we we sort of practically do as educators, uh, even as 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 learners or students, uh, parents, those kind of things? Because you must have uh, a couple of things that you can suggest to us.
1: Yeah. So, look, obviously, there's some things that that sort of a teacher can do without really needing permission and without waiting for the system to change. So, you know, the previous example I gave is is one of those. Uh, uh, An individual teacher doesn't have to wait for permission from their school. They could reach out to the other teachers, Uh, every teachers in a network of subject experts and so on. But there are some other things that COVID now gives us the opportunity to think about. So, one of those is what we measure and why. So, you know, David, you, you talked about the fact that uh, you maybe didn't do as well at school as you uh, would have hoped for, <laughs> maybe as your parents or teachers would have hoped for. Maybe you had great fun anyway. But part of that was because the education s- system is set up for a certain style of learning. Now, I was the opposite. I worked hard, but I also happened to have a very, very good memory It's not something I've developed or anything. It's just what I have. And once I've read something or heard something, I can pretty much remember it verbatim, which made school a hang of a lot easier for me, I guess, than it was for you. But you're exactly right. And, and, And I think even though the schooling system was in my favor, I still often didn't understand why we were being tested in the way that we were being tested. I remember arguing with a number of teachers over different years, and this went right the way into university. Uh, in fact, university gives the best example because I did uh, tax as one of my majors uh, in a BCOM, my, my first degree. And I remember arguing with my lecturers saying, Why can't I take the Tax Act, which was a massive, it was two big lever arch files? Um, why can't we take the Tax Act? Into the exam now. Today they can, but I'm I'm talking sort of 30 years ago when I when I was at Varsity. Uh, You know why do I have to remember the Tax Act? Where at every single other moment in my future, I am always going to have the Tax Act on the bookshelf, maybe even on my desk permanently if I'm a tax advisor. And uh, you know, for me, the question today is why can't kids take their cell phones into exams? There is never ever going to be another moment in the rest of their lives when they will not have their cell phone next to them. And so why, don't we, why are we measuring their ability to not use their cell phone when the rest of their life they're going to be using their cell phone all the time? And then teachers say, well, you know, they could just go online and cheat. I said, but what's cheating about using the tools that are available to you? Surely we should be teaching them to use the tools and testing their ability to to use the tools. And of course, what that then requires is us to fundamentally change how we measure a student's ability and give feedback on how much the student has advanced and, and how much of the abilities they need they've actually got, and that would be a radical reform um, of education, which I think is, is long overdue, and to be honest, I think most good teachers feel is long overdue, uh, but everybody's working towards that uh, matric exam, and until we change that, uh, very little else is going to change.
0: Yeah, because it, it kind of seems to me what the way we're going at the moment is it would be far time time would be far better spent teaching youngsters children how to think as opposed to what to think and and as you say you know you've you've got these these various tools but I mean you know I can I can sort of think when I was was back in school we weren't allowed calculators or or any of those things that's that's changed. But there's still a lot, as you say, of the, of these regulations. Sorry, sorry to
1: interrupt you, David, but we really are two old farts talking here, aren't we? I mean, I'm talking about <laughs> pre-cell <laughs> phones, you're talking about pre-calculators.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, listen, undeniably. It, you know, my, my <laughs> brain says I'm still in my 20s and my body says you are 53, <laughs> live with it. So, yeah, but, but absolutely. This is
1: But this is the point, right, Is is that... Now that the internet is ubiquitous and cell phones are everywhere, you know, the default setting at most schools is you're not allowed your cell phone here, rather than teaching kids how to use their cell phones effectively. An effective use of cell phone is not just how do you use it in terms of the physical capabilities of the device. It's also the etiquette and the socialization of it which let's be honest, you and I have known nothing about. We didn't grow up with this. We don't understand this stuff. It would be wonderful if our kids taught us things like you shouldn't have your cell phone um, at mealtimes. And then our kids came home from school and started teaching us how to use our devices responsibly, not just use them well, but also use them in, in good citizen types of ways. So, you know, if, if you change your mindset about what school's supposed to do and be, uh, you could end up with a very different looking curriculum, which is I think what we should be doing over the next few years. This is not something an individual teacher can do though. That's part of the problem. It, It needs a systems change.
0: Well, the interesting thing for me is I've, I've noticed over the time that I've been doing this show uh, for zebuza.net, which is a platform uh, that is specifically designed for, for teachers, for educators, for people that are in any way linked to education and, and for learners. And they've got, at the last count, I think just on 20,000, if not more than 20,000 uh, people on the platform. That, to my mind, would be a great place to start.
1: Absolutely. So, again, I think individual teachers can do a little bit of this. So, for example, I think there's a huge need to rethink the curriculum as a whole. Uh, The fact that we don't teach statistics, let me be a little bit controversial. We don't need to teach calculus at all at school. Anybody who needs calculus uh, for whatever they do next can learn it in the first six months of varsity. Uh, What we should do is take calculus out of the curriculum and put statistics in. Because statistics, your ability to know uh, the difference between the, the mean and the median and the average and to, to be able to analyze statistics, well, that at very least would have dealt with half of the COVID conspiracy theories and almost all of the people who thought Donald Trump won the election. Because just an, a basic understanding of, of how stats and proportions and, and everything else works can change your life. Uh, the other thing that, uh, the other types of things that we should be learning is uh, not just basic IT skills in terms of like word processing and PowerPoint presentations, but programming. Everybody should learn programming. It is a language, and it uh, should be a compulsory language that that everybody learns. And I think also critical thinking. Um, uh, That was your point about not just what to think, but how to think and learning critical thinking. uh, Now, these things, we can wait for however long it's going to take for the education officials to shift the curriculum and bring these things in, which must happen sometime this decade. Or... Individual teachers in different subjects can pick up that uh, can pick that up and can say, "Well, I'm going to teach critical thinking." And some subjects are, are beautifully set up for this. And in fact, I think it's the point of the subject. Subjects like science and history, and even your languages, English and, and others, you can incorporate a lot more and do it deliberately. Incorporate a lot more things ar- around computer programming, critical thinking, statistics, et cetera. So yes, there are big systems-wide changes that have to take place, but no, good teachers don't necessarily have to wait for the system to
0: change before they upgrade what they give the kids in their classrooms. Very good point. Graham, can we speak a little bit uh, just in, in terms of this? Because I know a couple of years ago, we, we came out with this this model called outcomes-based education. And on paper, it looked absolutely brilliant. And I thought, yay, we're getting there. And the next second, there was an absolute uproar, and everybody threw it out the window. And uh, we've gone back to what I would refer to as an old-timer as book-learning. Uh is this something you've, you've mentioned the changes? But this is obviously one of the one of the changes that that needs to happen as well, isn't it?
1: Yes, look. I, I think this is a, a minefield you've shoved me into here, and I'm going to tiptoe my way out of it because <laughs> outcomes-based education was a particular philosophy of education that had some positives, had some negatives, and the main issue in South Africa it was is what it was just badly implemented. So whether or not outcomes-based education, that particular version of it. was the right choice or not. Uh, Maybe let's leave that just hanging um, unanswered. But the concept of us working backwards from what the world of work and the world is going to need in the future and working backwards to a set of skills that young people need today. I mean, that must be the only way you can do education. And so, whether or not the actual framework of outcomes based education was correct or, or, or badly implemented or not, the concept, and again, individual teachers can do this. I would love to think that a teacher thinks of himself or herself not just as an educational specialist or a pedagogical expert. But I would really hope that they think of themselves as a futurist, because what's the point of preparing a 10-year-old to be successful in 2021? I mean, there's no point. The whole point of education, especially primary school education, is to prepare children for the world of a decade away. So as a teacher, you can't be thinking about the world of 2021 when you walk into your classroom. You've got to be thinking about the world of 2031, 2041. Just think about this, David. The kids who started school this year, uh, they're going to graduate school and get, if they choose to go to university or, or some other education, they're going to start working in the middle of the 2040s. I mean, just imagine what our world's going to be like in 2045. And if, if, the, if they finish their education and they're perfectly prepared for 2021, <laughs> they're going to feel as badly about their education as you do now. And so teachers have to be futurists. They've got to be thinking about what the, the future looks like and not in some fanciful flying cars type of way, although by 2045, I think we will have flying cars, But just in terms of what are the skill sets? What is the world going to look like? And they've got to bring that world into their classrooms.
0: I think if teachers did that, they'd become legends. Absolutely. Graham, um, we we kind of... On the way, on, on the back end of, of this particular chat, and, and I always enjoy chatting with you, and it just goes by way too quickly. Um, I would love to spend hours and hours and hours chatting and, and stuff because clearly this is something that is a passion of yours, and, and you are very, very involved, and you you have a strong belief in it. Your message, though, Graham, for, for teachers in 2021, because I know a lot of teachers we were kind of hanging on until the end of 2020 when everything would be better. They were thrown into a horrific situation where they literally, I mean, we were making stuff up as we went along. I think most of us were doing that. And now 2021 comes. And uh, it's got its own set of challenges. Yes, the lockdown has been reduced. But, you know, I think anybody who believes COVID is going to go away by the next time we have a family meeting with our president uh, is, is sorely mistaken. What are your thoughts on that? And what is your message to teachers?
1: Yeah, so we've got to start by accepting that the entire 2021 will be disrupted you know a lot of what caused heartache and difficulty and stress last year was as we got to july august september everybody was desperately saying how do we rescue this year how do we make sure this this year hoping that we could get through to the end of 2020 and and you know then covid would be over 2021 is going to be the same as 2020 don't let it be the same experience of you desperately waiting for, you know, the next week when it's all over. It isn't going to be over. And if I'm wrong and in, uh, you know, July, August, September, the World Health Organization declares the world COVID-free, well, fine. Uh, You know, you you haven't lost anything. The world will be a much better place than I'm predicting. Uh, Sadly, David, mine is one of the only professions where often as futurists, we hope we are wrong. (laughs) There are very few professions that actively hope they are wrong. But you know what? Every single futurist I know and all the epidemiologists that I follow are all saying COVID is with us for the rest of this year. Uh, the, the vaccines are not a silver bullet as we've already seen in the last week in South Africa. The, the, the virus is mutating. The, 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 there's going to be ups and downs, but uh, we have to deal with disruption the whole of this year. So uh, that's not to scare you or demotivate you. It's, in fact, to do the opposite. Because if you realize you're running a marathon, not a sprint, you change your pace. You know, if you've only got 100 meters to go, you can just rip through them, use up all your last little remaining bits of energy and collapse over the line. But if the, if the end of this race is still 21 Ks away, if you're only at the half you know, the half marathon mark, you've got to adjust your pace. So get your pace right this year. Use the experience you got from last year to help you do better this year so that you're not in this crisis response mode for the whole of 2021. And then I hope you find some energy. I hope you find some space in your diary. I hope your school leadership gives you some space in your diary to not just constantly be in crisis response mode this year, but to spend some time thinking about some innovations Uh, i've I've given you just one or two ideas uh, in, in in this conversation just use even what i've given you a few of the other ideas you and other teachers have had use this opportunity for innovation and see where it takes you because nobody is going to look back at 2021 and say what went wrong what were you doing why, why was 2021 so disrupted? <laughs> you've got a one-word answer to any question along those lines, and the answer, of course, is COVID. Use it. It's a great excuse for you to try some things that you wouldn't have been able to try in any other year and see what happens.
0: I think you, you've hit the, the nail on the head there, Graham. It's, it's almost as though once you change the way you look at this disruption, it gives you a sense of freedom. Because, as you say, COVID, you know, how many times do we hear that in a day? Why did COVID, what happened COVID? Uh, And now we can use that for the good. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And I think that's almost the perfect uh, note to end on and a nice positive, upbeat note. Before I let you go, though, Graham, what's next for for Graham Codrington and uh, tomorrow, today?
1: You know what, uh, David? I was lucky enough at about age 28, 29 to discover what I'm really good at and to to discover. To my intense pleasure, that it's something I also love doing, and people are prepared to pay me for. <laughs> it's kind of hit the jackpot, um, and so we just keep doing what we what we're doing. You know, for the last twenty years, we've helped organisations and and people and leaders and teams all around the world to anticipate disruptive change. And prepare for it. Literally, it's what I've been doing for 20 years. And uh, of course, at the moment, now that disruption is front and center and is the big theme in everybody's life, uh, we're kind of in the spotlight a a, a little bit. helping people to take the lessons that we've learned over 20 years and hopefully apply them in kind of a cool and calm and collected way uh, that really gets the real benefit. So for 2021, our plan is to just keep doing that, just keep helping as many people as we can uh, as we head out of COVID and whether COVID takes another 9 or 12 or 18 months, it will eventually be gone. Um, Or at least very well managed. Uh, And at that point, we'll just keep doing what we do because after COVID uh, is going to come other disruptions, whether it's climate change or it is artificial intelligence or it is robotic automation or it is some other geopolitical disruption I don't think the 2020s are ever going to stabilize, settle down, get back to normal, whatever words you like. I think we are in for a hell of a ride through this decade. And I just want to keep helping people uh, navigate
0: that as successfully as they can. That's brilliant and a great sentiment as well, uh, Graham. If somebody wants to 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 sort of follow you and 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 see what you do and and kind of get some inspiration, I know it's it's one of my rituals. I always have a look and see what Graham has been up to and what his latest uh, little videos are like because I find them inspiring. I find them motivating. Where would we go about doing this?
1: Oh, thank you. That's uh, so kind of you to say, David. I, I do think YouTube is a good place to go. So I've got a channel, youtube.com slash Graham Codrington. Uh, another good place to to connect with me is LinkedIn. And uh, again, just search for my profile. I, I accept all invitations. Uh, You can follow me on on Facebook. Uh, Unfortunately, Facebook has that 5,000 friends limit, and I don't want to convert to a business account uh, because Facebook is where I also moan about my football teams and cricket and everything else. So it's a little bit more personal, but it is an open profile on Facebook. So if you want to follow me there, uh, you're welcome to. Otherwise, just uh, look up grahamcodrington.com. That's kind of the home of all things Graham online, and we'll give you the links to, everywhere else and all of the resources that are available
0: wonderful stuff graham is spelt g-r-a-e-m-e codrington c-o-d-r-i-n-g-t-o-n so there we go Graham, before i let you go just just to make sure that i am following the right person when you talk about cricket teams and 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 football etc etc Overseas football clubs, who who do you support?
1: (laughs) You know what? Uh, Some people argue with me and say, if you really were a futurist, you, you would have known how rough it would have been to be a Kaiser Chiefs and Manchester United supporter for the last two years, and my answer to them is that's not how sports support works. Uh, yeah. I started sporting both those teams when I was in my early teenage years, and you know what? If you're a, if you're a good sports fan, you'll understand that it's thick and thin, and uh, at the moment, it's quite thin.
0: <laughs> you see, I knew there was one another reason that I like to. I am, I am such a staunch. Man United fan. And do you know how much abuse I've had to put up with uh, over the last few years? It has been absolutely insane because a lot of my friends... Our Liverpool supporters. So there we go. I, well, in fact, we, can, think,
1: we can laugh. We'll be able to laugh at them this season. I I, I think Man City's got the cup uh, all sorts.
0: Yeah, of I, I'm cautiously optimistic at this stage. Um, <clears throat> and then also for my sins, of course, uh, I support uh, Pirates. So, you know, <laughs> ah, well, yeah. also ups and downs there. Graham Codrington, thank you so much for taking the time out and having a chat to us. Uh, I wish you all the very best and I look forward to chatting to you again very soon.
1: My pleasure. And thanks for all the work that you do and the resources you provide. It's fantastic.
0: There we go. That was my special guest, Graham Codrington. Uh, Check it out. I do highly recommend. Go follow him on YouTube. uh, Connect on on LinkedIn. He's got some great, great content, and it'll help you as a teacher, an educator. Uh, Maybe you're a learner or a parent. Go and check it out. Certainly does give you a much more balanced view on the world. It wraps it up for this edition of The Education Show. So, whatever you do, take care of yourselves, be kind, and thank you for listening. That was the education show. Simply learn, join the conversation on zebuza.net. That's z i b u z a.net.